you kind of have to get comfortable with like failing in front of people. Yeah. But um, that's the whole point of this, to try <laughs> in public. Yeah. To not be afraid to try in public. Yeah. Because even if we fail in front of a stadium mm. full of people, I think the general consensus will be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort. That's me. We help build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge. Now we're in the thick of building our own tech company and we're bringing you along for the wild ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships and everything in between. We'll tackle burning audience questions and be joined by inspiring creators, female business leaders and the people who have motivated and energised us along the way. These won't be your typical shiny business stories. We want to showcase the experiences that go unsaid and definitely chat about the moments that don't make it onto Instagram. Prepare to hear about the lows, the failures, the doubt and the downright nightmare days. Navigating life through your 20s and 30s can be hard, which is why we're so passionate about creating a space for you to come to on the days you need to feel seen, inspired, educated, supported, and sometimes shocked into action. This is honestly the podcast we both needed throughout our journeys. In this episode, we discuss how to take the leap from your current role to running your own show. We'll chat through when to quit, how to quit, and all the questions you should ask at the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey. Let's go. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode, Michelle. Yay. This episode is going to be all focused on how to decide when to leave your job. If you're thinking about starting a business, when to take the leap, how to take the leap, how to navigate that transitionary period, which, yeah, we've both done. So I think there's like some personal experience we can, we can draw from. Yeah. Okay. So before we start, we want to go into like what we're trying or what we're crying about at the moment. Michelle, try try or cry? Try. Trying for me, yeah. So I have had this book on my bookshelf for far too long, too long called The Courage to Be Disliked and I've known that I need to read it and last week had to make just a difficult decision that had been weighing on me. And I think one of the reasons it had weighed on me so much was because I was actually just scared that I wouldn't be liked as a result of of doing it. And I think like this conversation of do you be nice or do you be kind as a leader is really important. And I think I've for far too long tried to be nice And it doesn't work out for me or the other people that are involved. It's just better to be kind, which can sometimes mean making hard decisions and having to be like super clear with people. So it's just served as a reminder to me that this is something that I need to keep focusing on. So I'm really going to try to overcome this and I'm going to read this book, The Courage to Be Disliked, and I will report back. Nice. (laughs) What is your try or cry? I'll also do a try. I think I've just been trying to focus on my relationship or focus on relationships in general. Like I think about all the podcasts 
podcasts I consume, they're like business podcasts, they're tech podcasts, they're like how to build companies, These all these founders, how they built various things. And I've discovered recently this podcast called Jillian on Love. And she is this therapist, coach, specifically on relationships. And she just has like they're so valuable. Whenever I listen to one of her podcasts, I'm like taking notes and I'm like mm. sharing them with Jerome and I'm writing down prompts for us to answer. And we're like, we're about to start couples therapy. So I think that's another thing that we're really trying at. And we've just started doing this like thing between us where we write these word docs, we journal to each other. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's like this whole thing that we've untapped that just makes us be able to be so much more honest with ourselves and each other just writing it down in words as opposed to, like, we always then like get together and have conversations, but it's like this new tool, I think that we've uncovered to like be very candid with each other. Wait, so what's in the article, what's in these journal articles? Are they like a love letter or is it like things, t- it's it's bringing your thoughts out and then discussing them? Yeah. I mean, the way it's been happening is I'll listen to one of these podcast episodes and I'm like, oh my God, all these like questions I should be asking myself or about our relationship. And I'll like write some of them down. And I'll just like journal around them. Okay. Or we'll have a conversation, Jerome and I, where it's like, okay, you ne- you really need like me to operate in a certain way, like just tell me, like, like give me the manual kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, like let me go and write the manual. Wow. And then we like exchange them and he'll like journal back a response and like answer some of the prompts. That's amazing. Very conscious. <laughs> uh, okay. So the episode, <laughs> how you know you're ready to take the leap. Do you want to be an entrepreneur? How you transition out of a a safe position to a pretty unstable one. I know you did a lot of work on this and it was something that you were like very focused and very conscious of. So what was your experience going through that that transition and do you have any tools that could help people navigate yeah. that? I mean, first of all, it is yeah, it's it's scary when you're in it. You're like, oh my God, this is such a huge decision. Like this is one of those like my life forks moments, mm. you know? Um, and for me, it was like deciding whether or not I wanted to leave Hinge, which all up was about a year long process or maybe even more than a year, to be honest. But I did end up going through a couple of exercises, I guess, to like find clarity on that decision. I was living with three other roommates at the time, all of whom were entrepreneurs. They own their own businesses. And so I was kind of like in this environment of other people who had forged their own way, who had all quit their full-time jobs to do something themselves. So like, first of all, I think that is very helpful Mm -hmm. to like try and surround yourself with people who are like living the sort of professional life or like lifestyle that you're intrigued by. They honestly, and living with them throughout that, throughout that period gave me a lot of confidence. Mm. But one of them recommended that I read the book, The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. It's like a pretty famous book for entrepreneurs. And in it, he has this exercise that he calls fear setting. And my roommate had gone through this fear setting exercise and like gotten clear on like where they wanted to, you know, take their business. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this with like whether or not I should leave Hinge. And so like, I think there are four parts to this, this exercise. And the first part is you ask yourself, like, it's a what if I 
statement. So like, what if I leave my job at Hinge and go and start a business? And the first part you have to define. So like define all the worst things that I can imagine happening if I make this decision. So in one column, just like all the worst case scenarios. And then the second column, it's prevent. So like, what can I do to prevent these things from happening? And it's like a big brain dump. (laughs) And then in the third column, it's repair. If the worst case scenario happens, what can I do to undo the damage? Mm. Yeah, it was really fascinating for me because like, yeah, I I literally have my answers written down. The company fails and I have to go and find another job. Mm. Like it's not... It's not, not that bad. It's not that bad. It's no. really not that bad. Um, I can't figure out if I have a good idea to work on, so I have to go get another job. Yeah. <laughs> my, you can do that. Yeah, my visa runs out before I figured out what I'm building and I have to return to Australia. Yeah. You know, it would suck, but again, it's not the worst. Yeah. I run out of money and I can't afford to pay rent. <laughs> I mean, that one, and you know, the solution to that was like I could live with my parents for a little while. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. In all of these, like you're not going to die, yeah. right? I mean, that is also coming from a very privileged place. Like for some people, these risks are uh, way more calculated because they don't have the same sort of like cushion that that other people, including myself, yeah, have. Maybe they don't have parents they could live with. Maybe they have dependents. Right. Yeah. I think in that situation, their answers would just be different. Right. And they would probably need to save more money before they take a risk like this and put a time frame in place. Right. Part two of this exercise is the question, what might be the benefits of an attempt or partial success? Mm. And I think that's an interesting one too, because sometimes we have this like black and white, like I have to succeed or or else or nothing mindset. And this got me to realize that like, even if I try this and fail, the benefits are going to be immense. Like I'm going to experience intense personal growth. I'm going to broaden my network and meet other ambitious people. I'll gain the skills needed to to build a company. And like, even if I fail and want to go work at another organization, like I'm going to have like such a bigger skill set that's going to be so much more valuable. I'm going to be able to negotiate like more pay for myself in the future if this fails because I have this experience and like, just, yeah, just like really internalizing that. I was like, Mm. okay. Mm. Yeah. Like it's, (laughs) that's so interesting because I have a list on my phone with pretty similar things. I didn't do a structured exercise or anything, but if I scroll very down to the bottom of my phone, I have a list that I wrote (laughs) at the end of November in 2020 and it starts with what am I scared of, Mm -hmm. something bad happening on the product, not being able to attract top talent. There's a couple of other things, but I'm not going to rate them out. And then under that, I have what could go well. And it's like, I'm the co-founder of Sunroom. I learn a shitload. I work with people way smarter than me. I do something that really scares me. I take the biggest risk of my life and it pays off. I work through the hardest phase of my life and I come out on top. Yeah. Like all all these things. Yeah. It's like so interesting that that's, yeah, kind of similar. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it's about like breaking down those fears and realizing yeah, it's not going to be the end of the world. Right. And what you have the opportunity to be exposed to and to learn actually outweighs the, all those fears. Yeah. I do understand like where the fear comes from though. We live in a very like pro-work, 
pro full-time employment society. And so being willing to leave something and, and be unemployed for a period of time and look unemployed and, and look like a fool potentially and look silly and it is scary. You, yeah. ha- you have to, I, but I think you kind of have to be willing to do that. Yeah, there's also this element of like swallowing your pride and I think being able to identify like where your ego is potentially coming in to ruin an opportunity for you because it is also, there's all of these things, but then you also start and you put yourself out there and building in public is such a thing. And even like having a bit of a following on Instagram and then you go out to all these people and you tell them what you're doing and you have just put yourself out there in the face of of failure as well. (laughs) And like, that's really scary. Like it is really scary to scream from the rooftops. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm trying to do and bring people on that journey they can all watch you succeed and they can all watch you fail as well. Yeah. You kind of have to get comfortable with like failing in front of people. Yeah. But Um, that's the whole point of this, to cry (laughs) in public. Yeah. To not be afraid to try in public. Yeah. Because even if we fail in front of a stadium Mm. full of people, I think the general consensus will be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. I think there is also like a moment that you cross over. Like I definitely realized like a few months into the, into the journey of trying, um, (laughs) especially like once we'd founded Sunroom that people really revere you for like throwing yourself in the arena and giving it a crack. Mm. And that I think like really like spurred me on. But, um, the third, the third prompt in this exercise, and I think this was the one that like really made it so abundantly clear that I needed to leave Hinge and I needed to take the leap was if I avoid this action or decision, what might my life look like in six months, 12 months, two years? What will inaction mean emotionally, physically, and financially? So like I did the three subheaders emotionally, like I was very burnt out at the time and felt like very just restricted and like my potential wasn't fully being tapped into. Mm. And I think that is like quite a like a hard feeling to sit with for a long period of time. So I wrote my mental state could worsen. I could lose all motivation to work. I wrote here my dating life could suffer. I'd become like, (laughs) (laughs) I'd become pretty like emotionally unavailable because Mm. of how like burnt out and depleted I was. Like I just wasn't a social person, um, which was tough. And I was worried about that. Yeah. I could like create more distance between my friends and I, I could let my team down. I could become stagnant and disengaged Mm. physically. (laughs) I could start drinking more as an escape. (laughs) These are honestly some of the real things that I was worried about. Oh, I had terrible carpal tunnel at the time. I was like, my carpal tunnel could like need surgery. (laughs) (laughs) There were actual like physical repercussions that I hadn't Mm. thought about. And then financially, yeah, I could keep earning a good salary. My equity at Hinge would vest, but I won't have built a larger ownership stake and I won't have like huge potential upside in something if I just carry on as a full-time employee. Mm. And I do think reflecting on some of those, I was like, oh man, this could get pretty grim if I stay here for another two years or three years. How long did you work through that exercise for? Mm. And how long did you really think about those prompts? It was probably over the course of a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you talk to people about them? Mm. 
I did. I think I shared this doc with my roommates, but I am like, I actually regret that I didn't have more conversations with Justin, the CEO of Hinge and, and my my manager, Tim, at the time. I was going through this all on my own because I felt like I had to. I felt like I couldn't loop in other people at the company into my thought process about leaving. But I I wish I had, mm. I think. Why did you why do you think you felt that way? Because like it would show that I was there was a crack in my loyalty. Mm. You know, I had you know, maybe was placing one foot out the door and I didn't want them to know that. Interesting. I, Were you in a little bit of a way worried they might try to convince you to stay and you like didn't want to then grapple with with that like you almost wanted to make your decision maybe yeah but I also like was open to staying but like what I really wanted to do I was like itching to be an entrepreneur I was itching to like be responsible for building something and so like I remember vaguely trying to like ask if I could do that within Hinge or within Match Group or like was there some other thing that I could be doing that would like scratch that itch but I could still like remain an employee and like have my equity continue to vest. Yeah. But I really didn't know how to like properly advocate for that. Yeah. So I I didn't ever like do it properly. Mm. I think that's definitely something that if there is that itch, it doesn't really go away. Mm. Like it is something that will just keep coming up and coming up. Yeah. And it's something that you probably do have to explore yeah. at some point yeah. or another. I think also the other consideration that I was thinking about and, and women like I guess unfortunately have to face this consideration, I knew I wanted to have kids or I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to have kids at some point in the future. And I, I was like 28, 29 at the time. And so I was kind of like, if I want to start a tech company, like a venture-backed tech company, I feel like I have this like chapter left in my life, my late 20s, early 30s of like giving that a good crack before my biological clock like forces me mm. to like focus on starting a family. Not that you have to like choose one or the other, but that was also driving my decision. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that you have to really go at it for a certain period of time in the face of uncertainty, Mm. which is just like a very hard position to put yourself in. Mm -hmm. So like you kind of do need these full back plans in place whilst you're navigating that, I think. Yeah. And potentially a bit of time up your sleeve. Yeah. So here's here's a question, like how you're listening and you're like grappling with this, you know, should I leave my job and start a business? I guess one of the questions to ask is like, how do I know if I'm ready or if it's the right time? Because I do think like you probably need to have reached certain heights or levels in your career. Depends what sort of business you want to start. It's so interesting because there are so many people that just like come straight out of the gate and found a business. But I think they deal with maybe different challenges to what we have dealt with Mm. having established our careers before we did that. Like I think there are just amazing skills that you learn having prior experience under your belt that you can bring in to a startup Mm -hmm. as opposed to just having never worked for someone and then starting your own your own company. Like it is a very good perspective to have having been an employee yeah. and having worked with with great leaders. Like that is just experience that is kind of 
you know, you can't put a price on that. Yeah. Does it feel like the right time? I don't know if you will ever feel like it's the right time. Like you took a very methodical approach to deciding if I want to start my own company. And like you put, you like read books and did exercises, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess I kind of did exercises, but I have always been like head first type person, act now, ask questions later. I definitely, I think I like subconsciously went through almost like this breakup with my identity from Bumble, like hard to leave Bumble, go work at Kick. But that like whole last year at Bumble was me working out how to leave Bumble. Mm. That whole year at Kick was me working out who the fuck I was. Now I was no longer at at Kick and it was all kind of leading to me starting my own business, but it was actually just happening subconsciously Mm -hmm. over like this long period of time or in the back of my mind. I did think I wanted to start my own company, but I was only just starting to take proactive steps around how to do that. And then an opportunity kind of came to me. And so it was like, okay, this is the moment you're going to go now. And it was like, the timing came to me. I don't know. I almost think it is like, when's the right time to have a baby? I don't think anyone says it felt like the right time. (laughs) It's a huge life, to your point, you're at this crossroads. Like it's this huge life altering thing Mm -hmm. that you're going to do. And it's really scary. And it's going to change your life in many ways. And I don't know if people are like, yeah, I'm ready for this. <laughs> like yeah. I, I was more like this opportunity is too good for me to take, not take right now. So yeah. I have to take it and yeah. I'll just figure it out. Yeah. And I, and it's, that's probably like you reach the conclusion I'm, I'm done here. Like mm. I can't do this anymore. It's not yeah. good for my mental state. It's actually having physical repercussions. Mm. And then I guess it really took a year of exploring business ideas to like find that thing where it's like, okay, the opportunity is in my hand now. Yeah. Cause that's the other consideration. Like, do you go down the idea path and do like idea mapping and I the journey of finding an idea while you're still full-time employed, or do you have to like part ways and like create the right mental space to do it? Yeah. I like, and it depends on your financial situation. Yeah. I'd saved up enough money to support myself for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Fortunately. So I I could like fully leave and detach and like wipe the slate clean. But I know a lot of people who maybe work in like less intense roles where there's like less pressure on them and they can continue to perform in their role, but also like carve out mental space to figure out what they want to do next. Mm. And like, that's a great option if you don't have like a lot of like personal savings and runway. Yeah. Like we did a lot of thinking about this whilst I was still full-time employed, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was really about, is this the right opportunity to take for me? Like, I think it'll look different for many different people. Yeah. I do think if you have that entrepreneurial itch, I would definitely start exploring ideas on the side. Yeah. But I, I think also realistically, and I've just come up with this now, I'm not sure how like legit it is. Um, I think you probably need one of two things to like confidently go and leave your job and start a business. And it's either like a very tangible skill or skill set or a reputation. Like you have built your reputation working for a reputable company. You've like been with them, you've scaled with them, or you have a hard skill that can be used for the growth of that business. You can sell, you can Mm. pitch, you can win, or you're an engineer, you can code, you can actually build the thing. I think without 
one of those things, I think you need to stay in your job until you can get one of those things. I totally agree. One of the questions that actually came through around this episode was how do I raise money as a nobody? (laughs) Which I found, I had a little giggle because I'm like, you can't call yourself a nobody. (laughs) Um, But it got me thinking like with our situation, it really did help having helped establish products everyone had heard of. Mm -hmm. And having this notch under your belt, like, yeah, I contributed to that. Yeah. Like that 100% helped people pay attention to us. Mm. Like, okay, they've come from these huge tech startups, early hires, and they've got an idea in a space that's blowing up. Yeah. That's like the perfect storm. Yeah. I think reputation helps with intros. I think that's the advantage it gives you. Yeah. It helps like having connections in the space because you can attach some like big names in tech to your company. Yeah. And it it helps you get a foot in the door, I think. It helps reduce risk for investors. So investors, like they're just constantly pattern matching and like what founders have done well in the past and like these, unfortunately. Yeah. They're investing in more the founder a lot of the time than the idea. It's like a combination of the two. Like, do they think this person can actually pull it off? So I think that's probably why having worked before you actually go out and do something like this can be an advantage if you're going to raise money. Yeah. Well, I think it just means that VCs will then take a gamble on you before you've produced anything if you have that background. So like we were able to raise a pre-seed, pre-product, pre-revenue. So I think without that, if you don't have that, it is more work for you because you have to go and like do all the, you have to start building something. Yeah. You have to prove more. You have to prove more. You have to generate traction. So that, and I think you just have to be more scrappy, which honestly I think is the more admirable way of building something. Yeah. And like building something from scratch. Yeah. If you're not an engineer. So I think this is the most challenging case. Like you have an idea, you don't have a reputation. You're not known within Silicon Valley. You need to like have enough funding or find a co-founder who is an engineer who can build your MVP, who can like start to validate and prove out some of the hypotheses you have. You can start to get users, maybe even revenue without that co-founder. I think that's the other like question that I know I get asked a lot and I'm sure you get asked a lot. Like, how do you find a technical co-founder? Like, how do you find somebody that can, you know, build this MVP for you? Mm. So in lieu of that, you would have to hire a contractor, a contract engineer, like on the cheap, probably offshore. But then also like you need to know how to brief them. You need to know how to tell them what to build. But I you think should go become an engineer. <laughs> if you are listening to this and you're like young, fucking change degrees. Yeah. Like if you want, if you want to build an, if you want to build an app, if I could like reverse, if I could see my life now, rewind the clock, I probably would have tried to do engineering at mm, uni. Me too. Like, honestly, if you have an idea for an app and you're young, still figuring out what you want to do, you should go and study engineering. Yeah. But I also just know that I didn't have the brain. Like I dropped out of maths as soon as I could. I dropped out of like (laughs) physics and chemistry as soon as I could. Like I just like cannot compute with that stuff. So like, yeah. yeah, But uh, But it's probably also like 
the skills it teaches you to like critically think and mm. how to approach problems. Mm. But if you but if you don't feel like you can learn engineering, there are so many online courses out there to teach you the fundamentals of UX, of product development, mm. product design. And like that should probably be your early role and like what you should learn. Like mm. get the free version of Figma and like go on Pinterest and start looking up common mock-ups and how other similar products have designed their their yeah. screens um, and play that role. Yeah. But yeah, coming up, you will have to come up with some sort of funding for this first engineer for this prototype. Or you could get a job in tech. Yeah. Like there are ways to work in tech without being an engineer, mm-hmm. which definitely could get your foot in the door. I think those are the hardest cases I tend to see when people come to me wanting mentoring. They have no experience in tech. They don't have a technical skill mm. and they have an idea for an app. And like, that's a very hard place to start from. Yeah. And there are things you can do to make it an easier place to start from. Totally. And like getting a job at a tech company would probably be the easiest first step. Yeah. It's a, it's a long game though. It's a long game. Yeah. Nobody can build trust like that enough trust for people to invest like a couple of million dollars in you. Yeah. I think that's the other thing. People underestimate how much money you actually need Mm. to start a tech company as well. Mm Mm-hmm. I think when it comes to how you exit a company, I heard a really amazing businesswoman say this one time, we all focus so much on how we negotiate into companies and often the ending is a little bit messier and she framed it up as you should exit elegantly. Mm. And I think that is just such a good way to think about how you leave a company I have definitely been a little shit earlier in my, earlier on in my career and like not exited gracefully. And then I've got other exits that I'm like so proud of how I, how I navigated that situation. And this doesn't necessarily apply to people who are just leaving to start their own company. I think it applies to people leaving any organization. It's really not worth burning bridges. And I think when it comes to leaving, it's just always better to take the high road. Mm -hmm. And you will realize later on why it is better to take the high road. And you will be so fucking proud of yourself of how you navigated a situation that maybe you didn't think was fair, or maybe you were fed up or whatever it may be. I think elegantly exiting is really, really important. And I think you can, like your network matters. And like the, I guess, imprint you leave people with matters as well. Totally. Like if you're going to leave and start a venture-backed business, investors are going to back channel and they're going to hit up your former CEO, your former like founder of the business, your former manager and ask the hard-hitting questions about you. Yeah. And you you want it to be as positive as possible, obviously. I think people will be surprised how often that actually happens. Mm. Okay. It is time for try or cry. One of the questions we have is, I want to change careers without taking a step backwards on the career ladder. What skills do you wish you'd had at the start of running your own business? Firstly, Mm. (laughs) I think this notion of like taking a step backwards is coming from this like pride ego kind of place. And I think that is something that you actually just have to be okay with doing. Sometimes you go sideways, sometimes you go backwards. Normally when you go backwards, 
there is like a giant leap mm-hmm. waiting on the other side. Yeah. So I would prefer to go backwards for a little bit and swallow that pride and get ready for the giant leap than take a step because I think it's up. Absolutely. You know, I feel like I've been so humbled by <laughs> my experience starting a running sunroom yeah. and like feeling bad at my job for the first time in a couple of years. I genuinely f- still am in the zone where I'm like, I am not yet excelling at, mm, at this role. Yeah. But I'm okay with it. Cause like, I know the discomfort means that, yeah, to yes. your point, like there's something good coming. Yeah. What do you, the second part, what skills do you wish you'd had at the start of running your own business? Mm, I wish I'd had more experience with hiring, recruiting, closing people. Like my design team at Hinge was pretty small. So there was only a handful of people that I'd ever really had to hire before. Mm. And like hiring's critical when you're starting a business. I do think it's been hard not even understanding just like some of the basic tech terminology and being able to just grasp like exactly where things are at with the engineering team and what's going on and just being so unaware of that world. Mm. Because in my tech experience, I worked at companies where the tech was outsourced or the tech was a actually a whole separate other company that was in a different country. Mm-hmm. So I had just never, ever had expos- exposure to that. And there were basic things that someone who had the experience that I had should definitely be aware of. But mm-hmm. I was just completely unaware of it and I really was starting at ground zero. I probably should have read a book. <laughs> but, I, but I also don't even know if a book would do it. Like no. you really just have to like be in the trenches yeah. and be and work very closely with engineers. And it's like a whole different like language and way of working. Yeah. It's like pretty intense. And it's like a black box that we're like slowly scratching away at, trying to, you know, yeah. make sense of it so that we strategically can like have input into what the engineering yeah. is doing. Yeah. Okay. The second question, I'm ready to start pitching to investors. How do you get the first one on board? Please share any raising money slash pitching tips. I mean, again, this kind of is like, if you have gone and worked at a tech company, you would have got this tech network. And I think going to that network is an amazing first step. Like to be able to get some credible names in tech invested and then go to other investors and say, we've got this person and this person, that is a pretty big advantage. Mm. Uh, So I do think the first step would be network. If you don't have that network, you could be strategic and bring on advisors that could open that network up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Or you could join an accelerator. You could join some sort of fellowship network that is fully designed for people who are building companies from the beginning. Yeah. Because if you do well and if you stand out and if you prove that you're a builder in one of those accelerators, investors are so tapped in to those networks and to those accelerators because they want the like they want to jump on the best investment opportunities that come out of those communities. Mm. So like you can, I mean YC is very infamous with this. Like you can be a nobody it's very competitive to get into, but you can um, have a really great idea and like some something already on paper and something maybe already a little bit built or validated and get in there and then like do the YC demo day at the end of it yeah. where the best investors in the world are watching that demo day. 
and like desperately wanting to invest in most of the companies. Yeah. Go compete. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.